Binge Boys is the podcast you're listening to where Hal Rudnick and Lon Harris talk streaming and nonsense sometimes. Lon Harris sitting across from me on the Zoom, hair tucked nicely behind his headphones, beard in full effect. Wow, Lon, painting a word picture for the folks. That's what I do. I'm a Picasso of words is what I've just now dubbed myself. Lon How was your fourth? Did you eat a hot dog? Not a single hot dog. I feel like this year was still, it was like an oddly muted fourth. Like I, maybe that was just me because I didn't go to like a barbecue or anything, but it still feels like we're all, we're all in the moment at the beginning of the cartoon where that instrumental version of like mourning, that classical piece is playing and the, the, the farm animals were all, they're all like waking up and all the animals are coming out of their burrows and like rubbing their eyes like at the first. I feel similar to that, but I know there's a contingent of people who are making up for lost time. And it's also, there are people who just never, like they never stop. Like they took maybe three days off for COVID and then they went right back about their lives. And so, you know, they, they for them, nothing's different. Except four-fifths of their community is dead. But otherwise, yeah. <laughs> it's totally normal. But uh, uh, people I know who are quarantining, like I was like, you know, scrolling through Instagram as I was wont to do. And I saw a lot of people out there shaking the asses for that three-day weekend, just like barbecues, uh, beer busts, whatnot. So, beer busts. <laughs> beer busts. <laughs> you watched Dazed and Confused on Blu-ray during the hey break? Hey, man, we're having a beer bust. Come on down to the lake, brother. I don't think anybody has referred to a gathering as a beer bust uh, around me since the 1980s. Uh, Hootenannies? Oh, oh, sure. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, like, I, people are out there, but I'm not out there trying to court the Delta variant. Don't want that Delta no, especially because I have the, uh, oh, you and I both have the, that sketchy Johnson & Johnson shot. Oh, um. it's fine. They're, they're, <laughs> like, listen, I don't buy all the stuff. Every, every, every couple of months for the rest of our lives, it's just like, uh, you know how they don't really know what foods are good for you or bad. And so every three yes. months there's like, a study says that, you know, pumping a gallon full of milk up your ass every day right. uh, makes you less likely to have a heart attack. Like, they don't know. It's just yeah. every study says they do Coffee, uh, alcohol. Right. Yeah. Like, it's, two, I, two glasses a day. Uh, actually, cholesterol's good now? We don't, yeah. like, it's all, they're all just making this stuff up. Like, they all work pretty good. Beyond that, we don't really know. And every three months for the rest of our lives, you're going to be like, if you got that Moderna vaccine... You've got tuberculosis now. Ah, never mind. You know, it's yeah, going to no, just forever. I, I, I'm a willing guinea pig. I'm a willing guinea pig. People are like, oh, this isn't FDA approved. It's like nothing you've ever smoked has ever been FDA approved, and everybody's doing that all day. I started off by asking you, uh, did you have a hot dog? What the fuck's in a hot dog? Yeah, right. It's, I mean, those are FDA approved, and we find out all the time there's new stuff in it we didn't know about. I eat fast food once in a while. Yeah, Good. It's, 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 Good it's crazy. Christmas morning. If you've ever had anything off of Jack in the Box's late night menu, <laughs> like that's way more deadly than any well, uh, the, vaccine. Well, the deep frying kills a lot of the, uh, <laughs> whatever the else would be in there. All right, Lon, what do you say we get to the news? Did it, did it, did it, did it, did the news? What if one time I was just like, no, I don't want to do the news. Well, I mean, I would be really awkward. It would be awkward. Our listeners would drive right off the bridge. (laughs) Every single one of our listeners 
they're just driving across bridges while listening. It's a thing. This is a great listen when you're traversing a bridge. We call them Bridgertons, and uh, <laughs> that's what you do. If you're a Binge Voice fan, the cool thing to do is just drive back and forth across a notable. I prefer a notable bridge, not just any bridge. Right. It should be a fail. Like, if you say the name of the bridge to someone, they should be like, oh, sure, the Golden Gate, the BQE, you know. The one over the River Kwai. It's a very famous bridge. I, I was actually there once. The Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, for example. Oh, a classic bridge. A iconic bridge. Yes. The Rope Bridge from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, a great bridge. Oh, well, I would advise that you just concentrate <laughs> on getting your one step at a time. <laughs> well, from the, from the beginning of the movie, not from after they destroy it when Mola Ram falls and it's eaten by crocodiles. Right. It's the exciting conclusion, folks, of Indiana Jones at the Temple of Doom. All right, let's go into the news. Uh, okay. I sent you a trailer over text yes. message to peel I back the curtain it. on this show that we do. Uh, it was for What If? This is the next Marvel series for Disney+. Plus. After Loki's done, once it's August, if August ever arrives, we're going to get another Marvel show. This is an animated series. It's narrated by Jeffrey Wright in character as Owatu the Watcher. Mm -hmm. uh, and he he's going to give us glimpses of alternate Marvel realities. It's like if one thing had been different in the timeline, we would have gotten a whole other Marvel universe. And this is exploring some of those what if questions. So examples would be what if instead of Star-Lord getting kidnapped by the Ravagers and taken to space like happens right. in Guardians of the Galaxy. What if it happened to T'Challa from Wakanda and Black mm -hmm. Panther grew up with the Ravagers instead? Yeah, or uh, what if British secret agent became Captain America? Peggy Carter? Is that Peggy Carter, yeah, yes. Peggy Car Carter. Right, agent so what Carter. if Peggy Carter took the super soldier serum instead of Steve Rogers and became Captain Britain instead of Captain America? Mm -hmm. Or what if Eric Killmonger saved Tony Stark in the desert before he got taken in by the Ten Rings and built the Iron Man suit to help him escape. Uh, you know, like, we'll see the cascading eventualities that all of these circumstances would create in animated form. A lot of the MCU actors are coming back and reprising their roles, including, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, uh, you know, Agent Carter herself is coming back. Uh, but also, uh, this is the Haley final... Haley Atwell. Haley Atwell. This is also the final Chadwick Boseman performance. He voices oh. T'Challa in that episode, and that's the last uh, the last acting we will ever get from the late, great Chadwick Boseman. Oh, gosh. Uh, I, I want to just... You know, I don't know. Man, that's just... Should I not have ended that news story on the Chadwick Boseman bit with that bring it down? Um, I mean, I'm already down. I'm just... Uh, you're just down. You're just... You've I, been I, upset I, about Chadwick Boseman this whole no, time. No, I get, I get it up. I get it up for the podcast. I fake it, but that you just took me... You took the no, wind right I, out I'm of my sorry. sails. Well, we can make fun of the animation style, if that makes you feel because it looks ugly to me. I don't know what you think. You know, I thought it looked fine. It wasn't remarkable or anything. It was just like unimpressive. It was just kind of neither here nor there. I'm excited for the content and I will have to get past my not really liking the way it looks. Yeah. I know I've talked about this on the podcast before. It's old man stuff. I get yeah, it. Yeah, you didn't like the MODOK animation. That was more just like, I just don't like that robot chicken style where it looks like dolls see, with yeah, faces no, See, I don't mind the, the kind of claymation looking. I think this looks super cool. I'm going to watch it. It looks like a lot of fun. But I wish... And maybe I, I'm. This is just off. What a two-minute trailer. I, yeah. I wish some of the things they showed were that much more mind-blowing. Okay, 
The stuff we've seen kind of mix and match. It's like one of those games when you're a kid where you can change the top of the character and change yeah. the legs and the, like the torso. Well, I, and it's like they just went around and did that. And I'm like, I would love to see these characters like intermingle in ways they haven't before. But like, you know, I don't know. I guess I'm longing for something that is impossible. Like, I don't know. I want to, I guess I want to see like uh, Captain America join forces with the Thundercats or something. He wants to see crossovers with non-MCU I just want to see stuff like, whoa, I want to see the Millennium Falcon fly in there and, like, I mean, it is, Solo. I get, like, I, I get what you're saying. Quill. When the regular yeah. content is as crazy as stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy or Thor yes. Ragnarok or Avengers Endgame or even Loki, which is a really crazy show. When you're yeah. going that far in the regular world, what do you do to be like, well, this is a crazy alternate reality? Like, yeah. they're making them into zombies, and you're still like, nah, that's not really that crazy. Like, what more can they do? There's a lot to draw from in the Marvel universe. I'm talking about the comic universe, and there's so many storylines, so. Well, yeah, a lot of these setups are taken from, like, the zombies I just mentioned. There is a whole series of comics yeah, called Captain Marvel America Zombies. Yeah, was a zombie in, in, uh, right. at one point. So. I'm looking forward to it. Well, it's always it's an alternate reality. I don't think the Captain America in our main Marvel universe was a zombie. I think it's like right. in another version of Earth, all the Marvel heroes yes. got turned into zombies. I'm looking forward to it. I, I don't doubt Marvel, and uh, they have a pretty good track record when it comes to their content. And I'm sure they'll crank out some more of that content that we love. Give me, give me more of that sweet Marvel teat. You heard it here first, folks. Hal enjoys content. Yes. All right, up next on the content boy. That's what we just yes, called it. The content boys. That's a much I kinda better. I kind of like that. I kind of like that, actually. It's so generic. <laughs> yeah, um, that'll be it's, season it's, two. We'll change it to the content boys. Maybe. I mean, I really do like that. Daddy, but, make us some content. That's a, Yes, uh, Bo Burnham. Hal's just standing here with his mouth open, waiting to be fed fed more content like a little, like a baby streaming bird. What if I asked my friend Matt Lewis, who made our thumbnail, to make us a picture of you as a mother owl feeding me. I'm regurgitating content into, into your baby mouth. Owl. It sounds disgusting, but I'm for it. You sign off? Great. Yeah. Oh, I that's officially a sign off, of course. Hoot, hoot. I'm not going to say no to that. Universal, their movie studio is going to end its deal with HBO at the end of this year. So for now, Universal movies, they played in theaters. Mm-hmm. It was like a 200-day window, and then they would go to HBO, and that's when you see them debut on HBO on Saturday night, and then they'd live on on the HBO streaming services. No longer. At the end of 2021, that deal is over. From then on, Universal Films will be in theaters for four months, then they'll go to Peacock for four months exclusively on Peacock, then they'll go to Amazon Prime and or IMDb TV for 10 months exclusively, then they'll go back to Peacock for four more months exclusively. This is how these deals are going to work now. What the what now? So we've shortened the original theatrical window. It's only four months now, 120 days. That's it. After that, they're done in theaters and they're direct to streaming. So you're only waiting four months from debut in theaters to arrival on Peacock all in. And then, you know, it makes sense they would want an exclusive window on Peacock because that's the NBC Universal streaming service. So they're really pushing all their chips in on getting people to sign up for Peacock to watch these movies. As you recall, they just did this sort of with Boss Baby, except they got rid of the theatrical window entirely. 
Boss Baby 2 hit Peacock on the same day that it arrived in theaters. Gotcha. So they're really, they're really trying to get more people in. Peacock has a particular issue in that a lot of people have signed up for the free tier. Yes. But the subscription tier is growing very slowly. So what we're seeing is people love those free streaming services with ads. Mm-hmm. It's hard to convert them once they've signed up for that into someone who wants to pay, even if you throw extra content at them. Right. So what they have to do is put the office behind the paywall. They are putting some of the office. It's a balance because if you put too much stuff behind the paywall, it's not a compelling enough free offering and people just stop coming to your site. So you've got to keep enough stuff free to get people enticed and interested. And that's also, they have to do a lot more work on selling people on these shows. Like you and I have watched enough Peacock to wear Girls 5 Eva, Rutherford Falls, that new Say by the Bell. Mm -hmm. There's some good Peacock shows. I'm kind of already sold on it generally. Yeah, you're a cockhead. I'm a lover of cock, as I've often said. But- but the, yeah. the one thing, uh, you know, I, I think that they still have to convert a lot of people. Like, no, no, there's good original shows on Peacock. It's just like Netflix and HBO. You don't, like, it's worth having. So you have to keep putting this stuff in front of people or they don't believe you. People don't listen. I mean, you I don't You don't listen. listen. Don't. I've been saying this for, for as much as I've been saying I love cock, I've been saying Hal doesn't listen. You know, I just think, oh, Peacock is the free NBC thing right. that has all the content and WWE and, on But how it many and, times are you going to have to realize, like, you get halfway through Girls 5 Ever and then get shut down because you can't finish any of your shows? Yeah, but I, I think uh, people know it as free and it's very hard. Yeah, it's very hard to just to get in there and suck more money out of people's wallets. That I really think is the hope is that the first time somebody's like, oh, Minions, The Rise of Gru is on Peacock, and then they can't get at it because it's behind the paywall. They're hoping that will be Mm -hmm. the thing that convinces them to sign up. Having that big release. There's a new Jurassic World movie next year. That'll go directly to Peacock. All the big Universal, which is also Illumination, Focus Features, and DreamWorks Animation. Those are all Universal releases. Can you read that breakdown of months again? Because that was so that was so comical. Like if if there was a like uh, a scene in uh, a TV show, like let's say Studio sixty on the Sunset Strip. I don't know. I couldn't. That's the most recent TV show oh. about TV that I can think about just now. Um, I thought you were going to say or, that's or, the most uh, recent TV show I can recall. But like how we've been reviewing them on this podcast for a year. <laughs> I mean, The Morning Show is a current TV show about TV. So let's say there's a scene where they're breaking down something that's supposed to sound so convoluted yes. that it's only used for comedic purposes. That's what you That's what you sounded like. I'm writing this on a blackboard next to Charlie Day, and at the center is Pepe Silvia. That's what's happening. Yeah. Yes. It's, so Universal Films will open in theaters. They will play in theaters for four months. Yes. At the end of that four months, they're done in theaters. They will move to Peacock for an exclusive four-month Peacock streaming window. Wait, go back and start with the HBO Max part. There is no part. HBO Max part. That's the, HBO is done. HBO currently, right now. Yes. Universal movies open in theaters, and then they go to HBO. So, like, F9. Include this. Include this, because this is one okay. extra layer. Well, so right now, through things. the end of 2021... Yes, thank you. Universal movies will debut, make their cable and HBO Max debuts after they leave theaters. But that's over at the end of 2021. Starting in 2022, Universal movies will play in theaters for four months. Then they'll go to Peacock for a four-month exclusive streaming window there. Then they'll leave Peacock and move over to either... Amazon Prime Video or IMDb TV or both. 
because they're both owned by Amazon, mm-hmm. for a 10-month exclusive run. So that means nowhere else. You have to go to Amazon or IMDb TV to see these Universal movies. But then after those 10 months are done, then they leave Amazon and IMDb again and go back to Peacock for four more exclusive months. After that, the initial 18-month window is passed and they can go to any number of other places. Wow. Thank you, thank you. That's 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 what's happening. Thank you for taking us on that journey. That's what's happening. And this time. is probably going to be basically <laughs> what happens with all the major studios. So we already know Sony and Netflix have their relationship basically set up. Warner Brothers, obviously, and HBO Max is part of the same company. A musical chairs like that is what's going to happen with every... Uh... Yes, because what we're looking at is all, all movies or most movies will have this four-month exclusive theatrical window where they play in theaters. To be fair... These are already the deals that were in place. There were just fewer buyers. So you either went to HBO, Showtime, Netflix. You know, there were like four or five Mm -hmm. players in this space. Now there's a lot more. And let me ask you just one last question. What the fuck is IMDb TV? IMDb TV is just Amazon's free ad-supported streaming service. So it's basically like if they had a free level of Amazon Prime Video... They don't because Amazon Prime is not just a streaming service. It's a subscription shipping deal. So they had to separate their free streaming service from Amazon Prime, the get free shipping deal. So IMDb, which was also owned by Amazon, now is the home for that. They're starting to put original shows like this week. uh, You ever watch Leverage, that TNT crime drama? You ever heard of Leverage? Nope. So there was... There was a crime drama about 10 years ago on TNT called Leverage that was about a group Mm -hmm. of reformed criminals who use their criming abilities to help everyday people get back at the corporations or the government or whoever had screwed them over. Mm -hmm. They're a bit like the equalizers, I have to say. Imagine a team of equalizers. So instead of just Mm -hmm. one Queen Latifah doing the equalizing, you had like a little core group. But Aldous Hodge... Mm -hmm who's now pretty well-known. He was Jim Brown in One Night in Miami. You've seen him in mm-hmm. stuff. He's going to be Hawkman. Oh, yeah. M- MC Wren. Yes, in, was, exactly, um, exactly. He's going to be Hawkman now in the DC movies. Uh, oh, I like that. He was one of the stars of Leverage back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's coming gotcha. back, and the revival season, an original IMDb TV production. But it also just has a lot of like random shows that you could go back and watch for free with ads. I saw an ad for a show with Noah Wiley. That's ER that's Noah the new Wiley. leverage. He's he, oh. he was not in the original, but he's joining the cast for the new series. Gotcha. Okay, they're really pushing that leverage. They are really. I which is weird because I do remember when Leverage was on, but I didn't. It was like one of those like burn notice. Like this is a show. Everybody knows that it's a show, but you don't meet fans of it. It's not like I is IMDb TV uh, going to have a show that's like. Uh, the great profiles of IMDb. So it's like, now it's really, oh, here's the idea. Today we'll talk about Viola Davis and run through her IMDb. If you go to an IMDb page right now, if you go to like yes. a movies page, mm-hmm. a lot of them will now have a play button at the top that says watch on IMDb TV. So the idea is IMDb gets all this traffic, but it's just people want a fact. Who, who played that guy in that movie? This is a way to like, keep them around, like give them something else to click on so they stay on the site for longer. I just want to look at Richard Donner's filmography. Right, but but imagine if you were looking at Richard Donner's filmography and you clicked on like, oh, I didn't realize he made The Goonies. And then there was a Mm -hmm. play on IMDb button. A lot of people would probably be like, oh, I'm going to watch The Goonies right now. Yeah. With some ads, let's make Amazon some more money. 
Jeff Bezos wants to spend a little bit more time in space. Yep. I read an article uh, that made me feel a little better about that, about how miserable it is to be in space. Like, it's not, uh-huh. we think it would be fun. Uh-huh. For like two minutes, you would have that like, oh my God, the earth Look at the view. looks so beautiful. I can't believe I'm in space. And then it's just like shitting in a little room with no gravity and like it's physically uncomfortable all the time and like Mm -hmm. you just like immediately get that feeling of like oh i wish i wasn't in space anymore this sucks but you nothing you could do once you're in space yeah but you know you got to kind of wait that shit out there's no like hey can we come back early this looking at those stars while you're eating some astronaut ice cream you imagine like they're in air-conditioned comfort in space smoking stogies like laughing it up you know and it's like no it's gonna be terrible like he's gonna be miserable and uncomfortable and like oh okay good (laughs) i'm glad at least for a few moments jeff bezos is capable of feeling physically miserable that makes me feel better maybe he'll fake his own death i think we should really like as a planet wait for him to go up there get together and refuse him entry back in like we we could we could do it we could do that or uh like he goes up there and then we all move. Just one house over just to confuse him. He comes back and he's like, whoa. Like when the teacher used to leave and you would like you'd spin their desk around or something just to just to fuck with them. Yes, classic. Or if there's a substitute there or something. We'd be like, what? Amazon HQ has always been in Walla Walla, Washington. I don't know what you're talking about, Jeff. Bam. Pranked. Nailed it. <laughs> Get the impractical jokers on this. I'm sure they can come yes. up with something good. A new, Let's send the impractical jokers to space. Then really not let them back. <laughs> we'll get on a headset and be like, okay, you know what's going to be really funny? Uh, you guys can't come back. Tell that guy on the other side of the shuttle from you that he's not allowed back to Earth. <laughs> <laughs> a new Peacock reality dating series is called Pride and Prejudice, An Experiment in Romance. What a catchy title. Flies I mean, off the that, tongue. How many words did you just read? Uh, that is seven words. So that's the title of the show. You know, cool like on, when you're when cool you're brunching on. with your friend. Like, did you guys watch Pride and Prejudice: Colon An Experiment in Romance this week? What a great episode! What a mouthful! What a great episode of P and P: Colon A E I R. Oh, there you go. Now you're speaking Love the it. language. It's basically like The Bachelorette. Like, there's an eligible lady, single lady. She'll have a court of her lady friends. They're living in a castle. Mm. They're going to have male suitors, but they'll, you know, dressed as dukes and whatever, barons or whatever. And they're all, it's all like it's it's taking place in Regency era England and you are mm-hmm. pitching woo in this old fashioned way. So the activities will include carriage rides and boat rides and archery lessons, composing one another, handwritten love letters you know, all that all that Jane Austen Bridgerton stuff. What about a duel? Can one eligible suitor uh, challenge another one to a duel? I think that should be allowed only if they uh, do the full, like, you have to take your glove out of your back pocket and, like, yes. slap the other slap guy. Across I, don't, the face. Not, I don't think that was a thing. I think, like, literally Looney Tunes made that up, and we all just now think of it. I don't know, because when you watch all of this stuff, and then when you just watch something like uh, The Crown— there are so many rules and manners, the rules yeah. for meeting the queen. Like they always, like Joe Biden, Donald Trump. It's like every president has violated some sort of uh, rule when it comes to meeting royalty. So when you get up to that level, I think there might be 
certain. But like we've seen, there's a lot of like dual scenes in movies, and like Hamilton has that whole song. Yeah, Barry Lyndon, Barry Lyndon, right? And Hamilton, watched. there's literally a song in Hamilton that's like, "Here are the steps to doing a duel." They're not smacking each other with gloves. Well, I mean, I think there are various ways, but. I literally think it was just like Bugs Bunny cartoons are like, you have offended my honor, sir. Like, I think that's just from that. Slap. Or like one old Warner Brothers movie they were making fun of. I want to believe that there's some culture, maybe it was France, England, whatever, where slapping with a glove would instigate the duel. It's like Southern gentlemen in the Looney Tunes. I feel like it's always like guys, like old timey plantations. You have spilled my mint juice. Exactly, sir. exactly. It's like Confederates yeah. basically are slapping each other with gloves. And maybe uh-huh. they did, I don't know. I don't know. I don't hang out with a lot of Confederates. Confederates can go slap themselves with their fucking dicks. Wow, hot take. You heard it here first, folks. Yes. How not a fan of the Confederacy. You know what? You'll never see me fly in the stars and bars. <laughs> How do you think you would do on this show, Hal? That's my question. I mean, obviously, take off the fact that Jews did not tend to prosper in these kinds yes. of environments in Regency era England. We'll just put that to one side. That if we had come around, we would not be allowed to, we're not courting anyone's daughters. No, but then they come to me because I'm the hand-wringing yeah, money lender. Right. Yeah, we're we're like the banker, <laughs> the, of the banker from town who's like, he's going to take all of our sheep away if we can't raise 20 more pounds by the end of this season, you know. <laughs> Give me my pound of flesh. Yeah, we're the scheming Jew banker, but putting that aside, <laughs> let's say for the sake of argument that we were Aryan and we're like we we blonde, blue-eyed, we looked the part. Well, I, I'm sure they're going to break that like trope uh, for the show. Yes, I mean we're post Bridgerton now. They're, 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 you could have anybody can play a duke. Yes, but um, I uh, I would like to be like like a, a rugged stable boy from the other side of the tracks. <laughs> I don't think that's part of it. I think everybody is is properly supposed to be there. I want to be a lower tier person who is like. Mrs., I'll prepare your horse for you. And then we make eye contact. And um, this uh, this lady of manners takes up a forbidden relationship with um, the hairy. Yeah, the hirsute stable, stable boy. boy. Yeah, the I hirs- like that. The hirsute Jewish stable <laughs> boy. <laughs> Why did the producers think of this? They should have been like one... One of each, each season. There's like one. Yeah, like kind of like, you know, the upstairs and the downstairs. This is just the upstairs. The producers live downstairs. I'm yeah, you got the grips downstairs. Yeah, the grips are all down, <laughs> right there. If you ring a bell, it rings down below and they have to run up and see mother, what you wanted. Mother, I've fallen in love with someone from the grip <laughs> truck. <laughs> a footman, my stars. What is it just going to be just hot people in uncomfortable clothing? <laughs> Literally, that's exactly what it's gonna be. The joke is going to be modern day dumbasses try to impersonate yes. what they think, what it would be like to be in a Jane Austen novel or something. Dude, I'm sick of all these dating shows with all these fucking chads. <laughs> yeah, it's a, like, just like, what if Love Island, but they were, they went the opposite way. They were wearing way more clothes. It would be cool if it's super immersive and they have to eat like, you know, this weird stews and they don't have like, you know, they don't have white claw. They got to drink grog or what, something like what that. What do you think? Regis Sierra England was not, I think you're thinking of earlier in time. Like they were... They were eating pretty tasty things already. I'm sure they have some nice Cornish games. Yeah, they would have had a they would have had a cook. They would have had like a like an old lady making pies and stuff. Come in, do you really yeah. have a shepherd's pie? They're doing okay. They have a lot, lot of lot of wine and port, sherry. Mm. 
I hope like they don't have running water and they have to like wear all sorts of weird perfumes. Yeah, they don't have running water. That's true. I feel like if you like a turn of the century, like early 1900s, posh, aristocratic British person. Oh, that's like the best. Like that's the best. Like if you got to pick one. I thought we were talking like 17, 1800. No, 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 no. The Regency era. So like, uh, you know, like like immediately pre-Victorian. I think. Let me look it up. I'm going to sound stupid now. 1795 to 1837 is Regency. Okay, so, so I was right. right. No, I was right no, before Victoria. You just said 1900s. I was jumping ahead a little bit, but like, yeah, it was still pretty nice. I mean, I, you know. There's a big, there's a big freaking difference between 1795 and 1910. That's true. You got me there. But like, you know, it was not, it's not the Middle Ages. Oh, true. Okay, so... Uh, no, no grog and gruel. Mm-hmm. No, no, they're 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 doing well. I was just saying, like, like especially if you jumped even a little further ahead, like this was the best mm-hmm. of everything. That's a, a life of pure leisure. If you were born an aristocrat, like you didn't have to work, you didn't have to do anything. You just waited on hand and foot. Nothing's expected of you. Go downtown to the opium den. Yeah, like I mean, you didn't, you couldn't watch movies or TV, so that part would be you know lame. But you wouldn't know about them. Like you wouldn't. Video games weren't a thing. You didn't know you were missing out. You thought, like, sitting around reading poetry was, like, the height of luxury. These dipshits are going to be like, oh, I miss my Xbox. Yeah, I mean, they know about Gears of War, so this is going to seem terrible. But I'm saying, <laughs> like, if you were uh, just actually alive, I mean, was, you know, the weather's not great. Yeah, I would love to be a uh, bon vivant back then. And it wasn't, again, not available for you and I. We were, you know, in a, in, in a pogrom somewhere with Tevye. <laughs> like we were, our people were not, <laughs> pogrom our people Tevye. were not doing so well, but. Fiddling. Yeah, there were no, there were no manor houses in uh, the Ukraine at this point. <laughs> uh, Pride and Prejudice, an experiment. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Pride and Prejudice, an experiment in romance. Good luck to all the beautiful people. Weird that they went specifically, like they put Pride and Prejudice in the title, because it's not, that's not about a woman just being swept up in romance. Like that's a much Pe- more sort of cynical. Well, here's here's a thing. People are dumb. Yes. So okay, you could have called it fucking anything. You could have called it Sense and Sensibility. Well, they couldn't call it. I'm sure they wanted to call it Bridgerton, an experiment in romance, but they can't because that's Netflix. Uh, they, they don't know Right, that. right. You, you could have called it Howard's End, an experiment. You could have called it any of these. Uh, <laughs> you could have, uh, but uh, Merchant why would you? Just pick a Merchant Ivory title and slap Merchant it on Ivory, thing. an experiment in romance. <laughs> yeah, th- that would have worked. And you're just romancing James Ivory. Uh, let's move on. Michelle Yeoh. You know Michelle Yeoh. Great actress. The great Michelle Martial Yeoh. artist, actress, producer. Mm-hmm. She has a grand dame. Wow. I think she had to be to be, it was putting her in the role of the mother in Crazy Rich Asians. I feel like, you know, it's a very special, important yeah. person. And the owner of the Christmas store in Last Christmas. I mean, who else are you going to cast in oh, that role? All right, now you're being silly. She's joining the cast of the <laughs> Witcher prequel, Blood Origin. Now, this is a Netflix series. It is set 1,200 years prior to the events of the main Witcher TV show with Henry Cavill. Mm-hmm. It's about the creation of the very first Witcher. I don't. Did you watch The Witcher, Al? I mean, I know he's out there uh, killing. He's the out monsters. there witching. So anyway, they are. They're yeah. like they're hu- they're humans who have been invested with superhuman abilities, allowing them to go fight monsters. So this is going to be mm. about how like the Witcher program was first started. 
but it's in a time, a much earlier version of this world when it was dominated by elves as opposed to humans. Michelle Yeoh is going to play the last surviving member of a sword-wielding elf clan. You know, I had a fantasy war about being dominated by an elf. <laughs> How much sex can you have in D&D? Uh, well, it's up to you. I mean, it's D&D is basically a structure and a set of rules for mm -hmm. doing things in this fantasy environment. But the actual yes. storyline is entirely up to the players and the, the person who's running the game, the dungeon master. So... Well, I'm saying if you and your group agree in advance of the campaign, like, this is going to get real sexual. Like, yeah. we could just have sex with any creatures that we encounter. Like, it's uh, it's okay to make this really filthy. Consensual. It's all consensual. Like, it can get as dirty as you want. Orc orgy. Yeah. I'm sure people are doing this. I guarantee oh, you. I, yeah. A good I mean, chunk of the American D&D games happening right now are fucking filthy. Orc orgy. Yeah. You think Mithril is just good for protection, but it's good for all Hello, sorts of Hello, I'm your dungeon master, Gabriel, and today's campaign is called Orc Orgy. I feel like we're giving birth to a new Hal Rudnick character in real time. <laughs> the guy Quite who runs possibly. the very, the dirtiest D&D &D campaigns. That's, all, that's about all I have on, on this show. She's having a moment, though. Michelle Yeoh. She's also, she's one of the stars of Star Trek. What is it called? Blood Oranges? Blood Origin. So the, yeah. The Witcher... He keep, but basically, he gives up witching. He buys an orchard, and he's just gonna <laughs> gonna raise blood oranges now. He's retired of Florida. Association games here. Uh, so she's in. She's in Star Trek yeah. Discovery. She's in James Cameron's upcoming Avatar sequels. She's in oh. the upcoming Marvel film Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Everywhere I'm all of a sudden. Forward to that one. It's like how Liam Neeson all of a sudden, like people were like, you know, who's a great action star. Very old Liam Neeson. They're doing kind of the same thing because she's almost 60. She's almost 60, Michelle, yeah. She showed up in that uh, boss level, right? I mean, obviously been in action films for forever. Crouching Tiger, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Crouching Tiger is such a seminal achievement. A lot of Hong Kong, great Chinese films, yes, martial arts yes. films of the past. Been around for forever. I, it's just interesting to me that all of a sudden people like remembered like, oh, right, Michelle Yeoh is good. Let's put her in everything. At the end of the day, glad to see her getting some shine. Final story before we mm -hmm. wrap up the news here and not a moment too soon, really. Yes. HBO canceled Lovecraft Country after just oh. one season. The show, it was originally pitched as a limited series that was based on this novel by Matt Rupp that they've completed adapting, but... The breakout popularity had led a lot of people to think this was a show that maybe HBO would keep around. And Misha mm -hmm. Green, the creator, shared that she had a whole roadmap for what she wanted season two to be. It was going to be set in an alternate version of the U.S. known as the Sovereign States of America. There were stories being developed. There were concepts for it. So HBO made the conscious decision not to move forward with more Lovecraft Country. I mean, I, I really like that show. I know you and I don't quite see eye to eye, but... Yeah, it was just not really that into... It was obviously very creative, and, it, and it, you know, like, there there were there were moments that I thought were cool and concepts, and it looked cool, but it just didn't... I don't know, it didn't all come together for me. I never really got that into it. I mean, I just... You know, I agree that it could be a little hit and miss at times, but there were a, a lot of cool elements. Um, yeah, I like the first two episodes before it felt like an anthology. And I get that the book is like this. Like, the book right. is a bunch of different stories that are all kind of 
tied together, they're interconnected, but they're not one narrative. I just, I didn't like that in the show. It just felt like this weird, like it started off as a story and then it became this anthology thing. I absolutely hear where you're coming from, but I I mean, I, I love the gothic horror elements. I like seeing stuff like that, but from the perspective of black characters and introducing the kind of lore that we might not be as familiar with. And those uh, stories haven't been told from different perspectives, you know, over the past several decades of, you know, filmmaking and television. But I disagree. No, of course, (laughs) no one. I I don't disagree. I was was talking to a black friend of mine who was telling me that like some of the scenes, it's evoking stuff from just African culture or from like Haitian uh, culture and different um, aspects of religion that we might not be as familiar with. And I wasn't as aware of that. And I'm like, wow, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I'll miss it. I enjoy I enjoyed Lovecraft Country. Sorry, it will not be returning. Sad day for for Lovecraft fans. Thank you, Lon. Thank you, Lon. That's it for the news. Coming up, we're going to talk about some movies that we watched, including No Sudden Move on HBO Max. It's called that because if you move too suddenly, you are now really tall and thin at the edge of the screen, and it's hard to see. We watched uh, No Sudden Move. What was that? What was going on with the the fuck was he? I don't know. Soderbergh's doing it. He got he got these vintage lenses because the movie is set in the 1950s in Detroit. Yes. My understanding of it is that he's using these very old lenses that have kind of a fisheye effect. And it makes it look more authentic to the period or it, 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 to me, it gives it kind of a look of like almost like you're doing surveillance on the movie. Like it's it's almost like looking through a peephole at the movie because everything is kind of rounded around the edges and blurry. It, it really has that fisheye effect where if somebody's standing in the dead center of the screen, they look basically normal. But the moment they move anywhere off center, they get slightly distorted. And then if you're by the edge of the screen, your image is totally warped. I thought it was the effect of like pan and scan instead of a theatrical version in letterbox, they'll do pan and scan and it looks kind of weird that way. So yeah, I mean, to hear that it's it was kind of by design. Oh, it's, it's absolutely. Soderbergh, he he shoots all of his films as Peter Andrews, the cinematographer. Like, they always mm-hmm. say cinematography by Peter Andrews, but that's just a pseudonym for Steven Soderbergh himself. So he's always uh-huh. very much in control of the visual palette. This is absolutely intentional. And it's purposeful in, in a bunch of ways, like... This kind of effect, a lot of movies would use a camera like this for some scenes, Mm -hmm. but they would cut off those parts of the image at the far ends so you wouldn't see the very distorted part. He's leaving it in purposefully so that it draws your attention to it. I couldn't tell you exactly what his thinking is. I'm sure he's talked about it probably in some interview out there that I haven't read. I did not care for this. I found it a very distracting. I liked everything else about this movie, but I found this choice to be very distracting. Much like Steven Soderbergh's uh, 2020 Oscar presentation, uh, (laughs) it did not work. It did not. (laughs) That did not work for me. But the movie works for me. My MVP and also an unsung hero. I feel like you know people like this guy, but they don't give him enough run. Benicio del Toro is just. He is so good. He's amazing. Yeah, he's the man. I, I mean, I just fucking love that guy and everything. To people who don't like The Last Jedi, 
How could you not like spending time with a wry, weird Benicio Del Toro? There's so many great actors in this movie, including a few I yes. don't even think we should mention because they pop up as kind of a surprise. Agreed, agreed. But, um, I'm not going to give that spoiler. Yeah, but uh, but so many. I mean, I agree. Cheadle, Don Cheadle's amazing in this. Cheadle's and so I also got to shout out David Harbour. Hilarious yeah. and really funny in this. And a nice different turn because he'd been getting kind of cast, like, I mean, he's not like, you know, a, a wilting violet, but he's not the normal tough guy that he plays in The Sheriff and Stranger Things or um, upcoming uh, uh, Black Widow. And usually he's just like, he's uh, the funny tough guy. Here, he's like, it's a nice different speed for him. I enjoyed that. One more thing I really loved about the movie. It's written by yeah. Ed Solomon, who wrote the Bill and Ted movies. Not a comedy at all. It's a, it's a crime movie. It's sort of a thriller. Mm -hmm. But it does have this very like sardonic kind of wry, very dry humor that I really enjoyed. It's very funny at times. And it's also super bleak. Like the ending is yes. so grim. Absolutely. It kind of starts off and you think it's going to be kind of like a bumbling criminal kind of movie. Yeah, or like kind of a, like a 1950s film noir and it's just like a caper where guys are going to get shot. Yeah, it really zags into this like pretty dark place. And it sort of reminded me of like some Coen Brothers stuff, like... Yeah. You know, like Burn After Reading, where it like yeah, I can see kind that. of fools you into thinking it's going to be kind of fun and light. And then it's like, oh, no, there's some real shit happening here. Like, this is going to go to a dark place. Uh, so I liked all of that. I just, man, I wish it didn't look like I was watching it inside a bubble. It would have been so much cooler to just, if it just looked like a movie, I think. I don't know. Maybe that's me. Um, a, a little claustrophobic at times, too, because like everything... There weren't big set pieces or anything, and maybe it wasn't just that kind of movie. Yeah, I mean, he's he's doing a very, like, sort of simple thing. There's not a ton of moving the camera around. It's, like, very kind of basic. And I notice a lot of people are, like, that's a lot of the commentary online. It's, like, it's boring because it doesn't do the usual things a crime movie would do to kind of pull you into, like, a caper. Like, there isn't a lot mm -hmm. of music and there isn't a lot of movement and fast talking or whatever. Like, it kind of just waits for you to kind of catch up to it. I didn't mind that. The, really, the only thing I minded was the, the lens choice. But it turns out to be yeah. very distracting throughout. Oh, Brendan Fraser also is fun to see pop up in this. We didn't Brendan Fraser's him. great, kind of cutting an Orson Wellesian. He is. He's becoming figure. a very Wellesian kind of guy as he gets older. Julia Fox from Uncut Gems uh, continues her streak of double-crossing May-December romances. Yeah, that's her, that's her uh, thing. That's her stock and trade. Uh, that's her yeah. thing now. She's being typecast as the May-December romance gal. But uh, nice to see her. And it's just, I don't want to give anything away, but it really, going back to what you were saying about thematically going and uh, the content going to a deeper place than just your normal shoot em up stick em up thing, it kind of just resonates in the way that, like, the biggest criminals in life are on fucking Wall Street. Meanwhile, the little guys right. are getting crushed and they're killing yeah, each other I mean, in the streets. So it, I'm not giving anything away. It kind of starts off and it's a sort of this crime caper about these kind of low-level criminals who don't really know what they're doing. And then, yeah, as the movie goes on, it really becomes more of this commentary on how, like, the worst, most offensive low-level criminal is barely even capable of doing anything yes. that bad. Whereas the people at the top are doing it cavalierly all day. Yes, and that's something that resonates so hard today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just you just see it like the the white collar criminals uh, get a slap on the wrist. Meanwhile, the guy who is like you know selling weed is um, they lock him up and throw away the key, and then they, it's just like life is fucked. We're all fucked. That's it. There you go, binge boys. Thanks for joining us. Yep. 
Uh, no Sudden Move, highly recommend. It's uh, some pretty good Steven Soderbergh and great performances and just, uh, yeah, a, a lot of good actors doing good stuff. Uh, you can find that on HBO Max. We got a couple good ones this week. Summer of Soul on, sorry, was it Hulu? Hulu. Summer of Soul is yes, on Hulu. Summer of Soul on Hulu. This was a Sundance movie. It's also in theaters. You could go see it in theaters mm-hmm. right now. I would love to see this in a theater, even though I'm not going out to a lot of theatrical, but this would be a fun watch in a theater. It's more or less a concert film, but with just a deeper resonance because of like the time period. This was directed by Questlove, the uh, Tonight yep. Show bandleader, Roots drummer, the DJ. Roots. You could tell that the guy who put it together is like a DJ. He, he's almost taking a DJ approach to the movie. Mm-hmm. It's built around these recordings that were made of the Harlem Cultural Festival, which was a series of summer concerts held in a park in Harlem, I believe Mount Morris Park in Harlem, uh, over the course of the summer of 1969. Coincidentally, the same summer that Woodstock happened and the summer of the moon landing. Both of those get sort of commented on in the film. Mm-hmm. So all these recordings were made of this event, which features Gladys Knight and the Pips, Stevie Wonder, The Fifth Dimension, B.B. King, uh, many more, uh, uh, Mavis Staples, Mahalia Jackson, just a litany of memorable soul, R&B, gospel performers of of the period. And it was recorded, and then nobody wanted, like, nobody wanted the footage. There were studios, networks, everybody passed. It ended up sitting in a closet until somehow Questlove stumbled onto it or found it and put it all together into this film. So he's giving you these performances, but I really loved how he did this. He'll he'll kind of start the performance, and then he'll take a few minutes while the band is, like, playing or warming up or getting into it, and he'll give you, like, this quick rundown of, like, here's who this is, here's all the context around their performance, and then right as you're ready, the song comes in, and now you're listening to them perform. And it's there's never, like, an off moment. You're just going from directly from history and context into music and back and forth. And it flies by, I think. Absolutely. I really just, it's it's like one banger after another. It's crazy, and yeah. The pace is unlike any documentary like I've ever seen. They introduce the, the next and the next and the, and the, it's so beautifully shot. That's what makes it kind of a shame that this, uh, well, an absolute shame that this thing has been like just collecting dust all these years. But um, it's great that it, it's seeing the light of day and it's it's a celebration. It's a celebration of black and uh, Latinx culture. It's a celebration of just like New York and the people of New York. Um, it's really a beautiful film. And like there's a couple of highlights for me when they brought some of the stars, uh, uh, some of the musical stars to like who were there and some of the people who were there to talk about those moments. Like Stevie Wonder, uh, the Fifth Dimension members, a few people participated in this film watching themselves and talking about their memories of the event. How lovely is Marilyn McCoo? <laughs> I mean, this woman is in her seventh. She's, like, uh, she's, she's there. She's getting up there now, She's watching yeah. herself and comment. I mean, Lon, you gotta, don't, you tell my crush? Wife, don't tell my wife this, but uh, Marilyn McCoo could get it. You've okay. got a Julia Fox style May December crush. How's it gonna romance Marilyn McCoo and then try to rob her? <laughs> <laughs> um, but Marilyn McCoo pushing 80 and just an exquisite lady. Hugh Masekela, his performance. Uh, I'm actually uh, you know, I don't didn't come here to name drop today, but maybe I did. Uh, uh Salema Masekela, his son, is I'm uh, friendly with. And Hugh, uh, he's one of the voices of um South Africa and the end of apartheid and such a big voice uh, and his music was sort of like the soundtrack of the freedom movement of South Africa. And 
it was kind of a nexus of cultures because like they talk, and they talk about it in the movie, just black American culture, uh, uh, Latin American culture and South African and African culture and the instruments and the music. So you have so many different styles and Hugh Masekela with his jazz. That was a great moment in the film. And it's just kind of a shame that like, you know, Woodstock culturally, it was, you know, a, a touchstone event. But the fact that we know so much about that and haven't heard about this event until now, it's, you know, it's just kind of like how black culture has been treated for years and decades and centuries in this country. But it's wonderful that we have this film. Putting aside all the history, all the context, all the information, what an enriching and enlightening experience it is. It's just a great concert film, too. I mean, there's just so many good songs, and it's just fun to hear these performances. And it has that thing I always like where when you see really well-shot old footage, it's just interesting mm -hmm. to look at people from 1969. Like, here's a big crowd of Outfits. random people and how they dressed and what they were doing and what things looked like. And I think the older you get, the more you get sucked in by stuff like that. Like, mm -hmm. you've seen the world change so much that to get a glimpse of what things used to look like is interesting just inherently. And it's kind of funny, like the fifth dimension, like they're wearing these, like these matching orange and brown yeah. or yellow and brown costumes. Like, well, that's what they're, costumes. that's a fascinating sort of undercurrent of the whole film. And they do talk about it in one sequence where this was this cultural moment where a lot of younger black people were wearing suits and it was that Motown look where everybody was like dressing yeah. like the Temptations. And you could see a lot of the performance, like Stevie is in a mustard, very like proper mustard colored suit for his performance. Mm -hmm. But then you're also in the Sly and the Family Stone era where they look yes. like lunatic San Francisco hippies. Oh yeah. Like, it's weird to remember that all of that was happening at once, like on top of each other. But you make a great point, Lon, in that like the history and the culture it's not shoved down your throat. It's like, it's there and it's there throughout. But this movie's a party. That's what I mean. Like, like what Questlove did is crazy. It's like, it's all woven together. You don't feel like you're watching like this sequence, then this sequence or this performance, then this. It's just like this one thing that happens and then you're like, oh, it's over. I didn't realize it was over already. Yeah, like it's a fun movie. I'm like, crack open, you know, a couple of beers and just enjoy this party. <laughs> it just, I just had like an on cinema, like I give it five bags of popcorn and two crack open a uh, couple of beers, folks, because this movie's a party. If you can, if you can drink to it, uh, <laughs> even better. Summer of Soul, uh, absolutely worth checking out. It's uh, in theaters and on Hulu. We both watched the first of a trilogy of new horror movies. And uh, the first one is Fear Street 1994. Yes. On Netflix. Part two takes us back to 1978. Part three, all the way back to 1666. Oh my goodness. Jumping back. Uh, my question is, because this whole movie, the soundtrack is a nonstop in your face cavalcade of every popular radio song from the 1990s, like all on top yes. of one another. It's, yep. it's insane. And obviously for the 1978 one next, it's going to be just that. It'll be like all mm -hmm. disco, late disco hits and glam rock or whatever. What are they going to do for 1666? How can you set that precedent? And then part three uh, is set in 1666, <laughs> Hal. What the, what the fuck I, I, are they I, thinking? I think it's just got to be like like a, a loot. It's going to be just like waltzes or something? I don't even, I, did Puritans even listen to music? I don't think it was allowed. 
Oh, man. Maybe hymns. Not. It's going to just be hymns. Wow. That's a, that's a great point. Why would you set that precedent in part one if you know part three is set in the 17th century? You fucking like, bitch. R.L. Stein. <laughs> you fucking dumbass. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. The soundtrack was a little too much. Oh, my God. It's, it's like, incredibly too much. I'm like, uh, enough. I get it. I was alive then. I listened to these Some of the bands. songs aren't even from 1994. There are several songs that are from 1995. I was looking it up. I wasn't sure. Several songs came out after this movie was released. Also, I would have to note, like, they're very cool. Like, they're, they're 90s kids listening to what people today think was the best 90s music. They're not listening to what was popular in the 90s. If you were in high school in the early 90s and you were already like, oh, the Pixies are the best. Like, no, you, no, you weren't. You didn't know about them yet. <laughs> Kurt Cobain was going to put them on a shirt like the next year and you would get wise. You were listening to Spin Doctors and Toad yeah, Wet Sprocket. don't you fucking liars. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I hate that shit. It's always like, like in Stranger Things where they put the Thing poster up. Like, you weren't hip to this yet. Yeah, come on. Oh, like you're such a big Carpenter fan, child. Okay, child. I don't. Also, you couldn't even buy, like, people didn't have one sheets for movie theaters up in their houses in the 80s. That wasn't even a thing yet. Anyway, um... My, my, main, my main takeaway for this was I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, it's very violent, which I did not expect because it's I like that. it's R.L. Stein. It's the guy who wrote Goosebumps wrote the books that these movies are based on. And I mm -hmm. thought it was going to be like one level up from from Goosebumps, you know, like, OK, it's going to be scarier than Goosebumps because it's for teens. But I did not know it was going to be like like people getting slashed up on on camera gross you got some good kills especially uh at, at the end i know there's a, there's a couple throughout yeah. and um I, I enjoyed that because uh if you're gonna be a slasher film slash and it slashes i agree and this one it does bring the slashing it feels satisfying in that level a lot of the creative team they worked on the scream tv series you can tell it feels like this is the modern generation's take on a scream it absolutely has like the fingerprints or the DNA of Scream. In and of itself, this movie, not uh, Derek Delgadio's in and of itself. Uh, I thought this movie I was, am a witch. Yes. <laughs> uh, you are a possessed child. I thought this movie was enjoyable, but didn't like do anything by itself to like, oh, this is a genre changer or anything. But as a whole, as the trilogy, that's interesting to me. Does that make sense? Sure. Well, we haven't seen parts two and three. Right. Part two, by the time you listen to this podcast, part two will be out. Mm -hmm. uh, and then part three will follow next week. So by the end of the month, we'll have seen the whole thing. I kind of want to keep going now. Oh, I'm you know? definitely going to watch 78 and 68. And I do like how it's obviously very aware that it's part of a, it almost feels like the pilot of a, TV show in some ways because they're dropping stuff that you know they're going to pick up. Like, we already basically know what happens in the 1978 story yeah. because it's referenced a bunch of times in this one. One thing that I would have loved to have seen more of, and it's kind of, but maybe they'll get to that dong. back in. I mean, I would love some full frontal. Why weren't any of these guys hanging dong? That was Hal's right? one question. Thank you. <laughs> the killers and like the bad guys and the, right. the slashers. They don't develop them enough. There's not enough personality. They just, they're just like these avatars. By which he means they are eight feet tall and blue. Yes. 
They are Navi. I was, why are the killers all Navi? That it's never even explained. Oh, James Cameron hooking they up just this low key cross. Fly in on like this big lizard looking dragon, <laughs> dragon thing. Yeah, murder teens have sex with each other's hair and then leave. I hope that's explained in part two. Part of your complaint is definitely going to be answered by the next movie because one of the murderous whatevers from part one yes. is a reference to part two. Yeah, I would have liked to just like get a little personality from that killer. I mean, you know, I don't know if I'm asking for like Freddy Krueger or something, but they're trying to make him specific, but they turn out to be very generic killers. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of like, you know, the it's Michael Myers, it's Jason Voorhees, it's like... You don't need to really know their motivation. They're just like, they're kill crazy lunatics, you know. Yeah, but even Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees, like, wow, like the, you got the stamp. Like those guys are clear and like unique. They're very clear about wanting to machete you. They couldn't be clearer, honestly. Yes, uh, but the, you know, on the Mount Rushmore of like murder maniacs. Yeah. Uh, also, it's you know who would be your four? Who's on the Mount Rushmore of murder maniacs? Oh, it's got to be Freddie, uh-huh. uh, Jason, uh-huh. uh, Michael Myers, uh-huh. and is it the fourth one's up for grabs a little bit? Is it Hellraiser? Is his it, name is no, Pinhead? Pinhead, yes, yes, yes. I feel like Chucky. Chucky's Strong right possible. there. Uh huh. Oh, um, um, Aileen Warnos. <laughs> Charlize Theron is a- Aileen Warnos only in one film. But what an impact. What a huge what impact. impact. Am I leaving anyone Leatherface? I feel like Leatherface oh, leather would it's, be it's a big possible. It's Leatherface. It's Leatherface because he's a, he's a scary looking motherfucker. Yeah. Um, also, the, the gaggle of kids that go around, you know, they're likable. It's good. And I, I'm going to get to one thing I really appreciate about the movie. But it's a little kind of Stranger Things-y oh, it's or strange. It. In, in or, fact, yeah. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, the Girl from It? Well, I was going to say every – so far, there's two chapters and they both have at least one – Stranger Things cast member because Maya Hawk yes. is in the early yes. scene of this one mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. the most recent season Work, of Stranger Things. Working at a fucking mall. And then we can see uh, the tomboy, I'm blanking on her name, Mac? Who's, who's, what's her character's name? Yes, the red the red. Right. From- she's she's one of the main characters in 78. Is she in It and Stranger Things? I, I know who you're thinking of, but she's not the girl from It. Oh, no. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. You're thinking of the young Jessica Chastain from It, but that's a different actress. I will look yes, up yes. this lady's name. Sadie Sink, she plays Max May. I was right. I said Mac. It's Max. She plays yes. Max Mayfield on Stranger Things. She's one of the leads in in the nineteen seventies Fear Street. And it is surprising that it, it's that bloody, considering that it's got like some Stranger Things DNA. Well, but to Stranger it Things well. also is gory. Like they'll they'll show you people yeah. being ripped apart by a demogorgon. I, th- I feel like this is a little more R rated. This is a little more intense. There's one shot in particular that's become popular online, but I don't want to spoil. Yeah. One of the girls gets killed in a particularly gruesome '80s movie throwback way, and it's yeah fun. at the end yes, at the yes, end there. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm yeah, yeah. Well, let me, as a uh, middle-aged, uh, um, cishet white male... I don't even uh, know what you're about, about to say right now. I'm very curious. Oh, no, I just thought it was cool that, like, it went against kind of... Uh, it's telling a familiar story, but it's not heteronormative. It's like... Oh, okay. I thought everybody like... And I was surprised that everyone in the movie was trans. And I was like, wait, did I miss <laughs> that? How did I miss that? Like, we've seen this, these stories told so many times. How many teens running from slashers have we seen and then there's like you know and a guy and a girl's romance is at the uh center of it and i thought it was cool that there was a uh, romance between uh two young women and uh i think it's nice having that in these stories and it's i think hopefully more directors just take advantage of being able to tell stories from 
these different vantage points. And uh, yeah, I appreciate that aspect of it. It's very broad-minded, folks. Yep, I just want to- Very man of the world. Very, very worldly. <laughs> Thanks, Lon. <laughs> the bare minimum. Uh. It's just it's very sophisticated. I was over here stewing about it, but Hal's very open-minded. Just it, it adds to the genre, you know, um, being able to uh, tell stories from that perspective. But I enjoyed it. It's fu- it's a fun flick. I wonder if more movies or movie events will be done in this way. Because it's kind of like we're getting three sequels back to back to back. I mean, one thing streaming does that's one of its great advantages is that, well, everything doesn't have to fit into a predetermined box, you know, like you, TV used to be like, well, we've got 52 minutes in an hour to fill. And then after that, it's time for the next show. And before that, there's another show on. So you've got that amount of time. And streaming is just like, ah, it could, could be infinite. Could be, could be five minutes long, could be eight hours. We'll just dump it on Netflix whenever it's done. So it, it opens you up to like more kinds of experiments in format and let them I mean, you can have a season of I think you should leave where every episode is like 13 minutes long and then you can have mm-hmm. a three episode Fear Street series where every episode is the length of a movie and it's like Netflix allows you to do whatever you want so yeah I would, I would say probably a lot more stuff like this as filmmakers and creators get more experimental with their formats and structures the rules are out the window there's no rules except when things go to Peacock and Amazon Prime, that has very strict rules. Oh, yes. <laughs> Those are 18 rules, but... Uh, Fear Street 94 and the rest of them, the rest of the Fear Streets on Netflix. Check them out. Lon, on uh, that callback to the Peacock. <laughs> Bring it all uh, back around, plan. folks. Yeah, that's, uh, you got to end on that Mwah. note. Uh, Comedy. Uh, shout out to... All the gahooligans in Owl Nation. Hashtag Owl Nation. Who, There's who, not a where hashtag. Am I Why are you telling people at? to hashtag that? We don't check it. Nothing happens if you hit that hashtag. We might. We, we are might. sending your tweets into the void, folks. Don't do that. Listen, if you... Uh, I have that term blocked on Twitter, so I'm not even seeing it if you use it. Oh, what a humbug. <laughs> I don't. I don't have that term. That would be a ridiculous thing for me to mute. I mean, it, it would be kind of fun. Though. Only people trying purposefully <laughs> to get my attention related to my podcast. And I'm like, no! <laughs> I don't respond to that! Blocked a few people and I've muted the hashtag only. Um, <laughs> I want to thank Starburns Audio. Thanks, Starburns. Thank you, sir. I want to hey, thank they, Travis. Can I, before we thank Travis, who deserves our thanks and praise. Yes. Can I, Starbirds tweeted about us this week. That felt very nice. I think that's the first time oh, yes. that they've ever done that. They did retweet uh, one of my tweets earlier, but uh, we should maybe make a Twitter for this show. Let's talk eh. about that offline. Talk about that. I don't know if <laughs> I need to. My Twitter is the Twitter for this show. It's just constant streaming TV anyway. It is all binge boys all the time. <laughs> all content boys. Yeah. <laughs> um, the content cowboys. That sounds like something else. Yeah, a, a little bit. Travis Reeves, thank you for producing this show. I salute you. Jason K, thank you for your sweet licks. Uh, binging the fuck out of shit. And uh, thank you, Lon Harris. Uh, please tell them where they can find you. Find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. That's the easiest place to keep up with everything. It basically is like if the Binge Boys had a Twitter, except every once in a while, I'll say something mean about Ben Shapiro. Uh, and uh, and you can also read my newsletter. Go to inside.com slash streaming to sign up. It's free. It's five days a week. Sometimes I get lazy and it's four days a week. It's usually five days a week. And uh, all of this kinds of information, but without me and Hal making up nonsense afterwards. There it is. And... 
please follow me on all the socials at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K. And uh, I'll see you there. Thanks for listening. Appreciate that. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit.